Welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast, broadcasting from Clear Channel Studios in Seattle, Washington, carried live on Fox Radio 850 KHHO in Tacoma, Washington, and carried nationally in streaming audio at www.recoverycoasttocoast.org. Two hours of interviews and features, plus questions and comments about this one-day-at-a-time adventure in personal recovery as we share experience, strength, and hope with others so that they may recover from alcohol and other drug and behavioral addictions. And now, Recovery Coast to Coast is on the air. Here's your host, Neil Scott. And a very pleasant good evening and welcome once again to Recovery Coast to Coast. Great to have you with us tonight. I'm Neil Scott. I'll be here with you until midnight tonight as we do every night, Monday through Friday, 10 to midnight, right here on 8.50 a.m. Clear Channel Radio in the greater Seattle-Tacoma area. And, of course, uh, in streaming audio online, www.recoverycoasttocoast.org. Tonight, a very special program about a very special man. It is a tribute to a guest that we had on back in August. Mike Hickey and I had the privilege to interview a man named John X, although that was not his real name. In keeping with the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, he insisted that we use a different name. His real name is Jack McCarthy. I am able to share his real name because on January 17th of this year, Jack McCarthy passed away. Tonight, we are going to replay segments from that interview as well as some highlights from the memorial service that was held in Jack McCarthy's honor. I must tell you that Jack McCarthy came into AA 50 years ago. He stayed sober for about 10, then went out for a weekend of some research. We know how that goes. Uh, But he came right back in and stayed continuously in recovery for the past 40 years. Jack McCarthy is a living legend. He's a poet, and he's a poet who writes extensively about his recovery, about Alcoholics Anonymous, as well as many, many other topics. Mike Hickey and I had the opportunity to sit down with Jack in his home in Seattle, Washington. We'd hoped to get him in the studio, but because of his advancing illness, he was not able to make the trip. So we decided to take the remote equipment from Recovery Coast to Coast and take it directly to Jack's home. And that started a wonderful, wonderful relationship. I had the opportunity a week later to see Jack at a music event called Words and Music over in Vaughan, Washington. And there I met his lovely wife, Carol. And Carol and I talked extensively about Jack. And and she told me that one of the big regrets was that he was not going to be able to record his poetry. And I told her that I would certainly be willing to to meet with Jack once a week on Monday morning and record as many poems as we possibly could until Jack ran out of breath. And we did that starting in August. Every Monday, I would go out and spend, oh, an hour to two hours with Jack. We'd record poetry. We'd talk about the fellowship. We'd talk about life, love, and all things recovery. I fell in love with this man over the last six months. And although I probably knew him the least amount of time of the people who were at the memorial that was recently held for Jack, I felt that the friendship that I had transcended time. And the depth of friendship and love for this man seemed to know no bounds. He was an amazing, amazing man. So tonight we are going to go back in time. We're going to go back to the interview that we did with John X, 
who is really Jack McCarthy. We are also going to hear some highlights from the memorial service that was held in Jack's honor. There was a memorial service and there was an open mic. We'll hear from a number of people. We'll hear from some people in fellowship. We'll hear from some poets. We'll hear from the minister who, in fact, officiated at Jack's memorial. It is a real honor to be talking about Jack McCarthy. To give you some insight into uh, his love, his life, his legacy, he died at the age of 73 following a two-year battle with cancer. He was the author of thousands of poems, numerous audio recordings, and eight books of published poetry, including Almost a Remembrance, Goodnight Grace Notes, and What I Saw. He has a new book that will be out soon called Drunks and Other Poems of Recovery. It'll be published by Right Bloody Publishing, and of course, recovery has been an integral part of Jack's life for the last 40 years. Jack McCarthy is a legend in the slam poetry community. Back in the 90s, he was named Best Stand-Up Poet in Boston. In 1996, he was a member of the Boston Poetry Slam team that went on to the National Poetry Slam Championship. He was named Best Stand-Up Poet by the Boston Phoenix back in the 1990s. In 2000, he was a semifinalist in the individual category of the National Poetry Slam. And in 07, he was the winner of the haiku category at the World Poetry Slam, an amazing guy. He also was featured in the documentary Slam Nation, which was produced by five-time Emmy filmmaker Paul Devlin. Slam Nation premiered back in 1998 at the South by Southwest Film Festival. Perhaps you've seen it on Cinemax or HBO or Stars or Encore. Jack and his wife Carol relocated to Seattle back in 2003. And he's been very active in the local poetry community throughout Washington and very active in the 12-step community. His home group was up in Marysville. His last public appearance was at South Seattle Community College. As the featured poet at the 18th Annual Seattle Poetry Reading, Mike Hickey, who is the co-host tonight with me, he is also Seattle's poet populist and an instructor at South Seattle Community College, and he invited Jack down, and that was, in fact, his last public appearance. To those who love Jack McCarthy from Boston to Seattle and countless points in between, he was a legend on the page, on the stage, and in life. That is a quote from Mike Hickey. Jack was born in Boston back in May of 1939 to John and Hannah McCarthy. Jack's wife, Carol, said that Jack hopes to be remembered as an integral member of the movement to restore poetry to its rightful place in everyday American life. He believed that when Americans think of poetry, they don't think of school and homework, but they will think of laughter and tears, a shortcut to the heart. He was an amazing poet, he was an amazing man, and he had an amazing life in recovery. We're going to find out more about Jack McCarthy, who, when we interviewed him, used the name John X in keeping with the traditions. We're going to do all that when we take a short time out. We will be back on the other side with our tribute to the late Jack McCarthy, an amazing man who has left a legacy of hope, of love, and of recovery. I'm Neil Scott. Mike Hickey and I will be back right after this short time out. Stay with us. These days, we talk about everything. I've been sober now one year, three days, and counting. My sister was restructured at work after 10 years. Welcome to the new normal and the cards for the new normal. New Journeys cards from Hallmark. My girlfriend sent me a card that said I'm really something to celebrate. Encouragement cards for all the stuff we face today. I actually found a card that says, sorry you lost your job. Journeys, new cards with real words for real life. Only at today's Hallmark Gold Crown stores. 
She has always been your baby. But when your daughter got into drugs and alcohol, she turned into a stranger. What do you do? Where do you turn? Contact Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized youth treatment program guides young people back to a life free of drugs and alcohol. All treatment is gender-specific and directed by caring, certified professionals in a safe environment. You can get your daughter back and get to know her again. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. Your daughter's wasted. Again. You ignore it. You get help. Before long, she's been arrested. Before long, she's been promoted. You post bail. You congratulate her. And then her addiction really takes and off. And then her career really takes off. She stops in from time to time for she money. She stops in from time to time for coffee. But then it's right back to the street. But then it's right back to the office. Years later, the police stop by. Years later, your daughter and son-in-law stop by. They've got bad news. They've got good news. She's gone. She's expecting. You cry. Choose to help a loved one struggling with drugs or alcohol. It could change everything. For more information or help, call 800-662-9111. Here is something to think about. Problem gambling is exactly that, a problem. Looking for a solution? Well, there is a way out. And there is help for you or someone you love who's caught in the web of problem gambling. Help is as close as your phone. Call the Washington State Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-800-522-4700. For confidential help and free information, call a real winning number, 1-800-522-4700. They have the solution for problem gambling. Recovery Coast to Coast is a program feature of the nonprofit Alliance for Recovery. On the air, thanks to the generosity of our friends and listeners. Now, if you're enjoying Recovery Coast to Coast and would like to help us to continue to carry the message of hope and the promise of recovery, you can make a tax-deductible contribution to the Alliance for Recovery at P.O. Box 31451, Seattle, Washington, 98103. Thank you in advance for your support. Welcome back once again to Recovery Coast to Coast, the only program in America on the air five nights a week, two hours a night talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. Great to have you with us tonight. Our special tribute to the late, great Jack McCarthy. He has been in Alcoholics Anonymous for some 50 years. He was in for 10 years, went out for a weekend, and came right back in into the rooms, and he stayed in the rooms for the last 40 years. Since he has passed away, there is no anonymity break in terms of using his real name. Jack McCarthy, an amazing man, a wonderful friend, and we are going to go back now to August of 2012. Mike Hickey and I sat down with Jack in his home. Uh, he was just going into hospice care and was unable to get to the radio station. So we took the radio station to Jack McCarthy. Tonight we are visiting with John X. He has been in long-term recovery some 40 years. He is a man who is constitutionally a stranger to moderation in any of its forms. John, welcome to Recovery Coast to Coast. It is a joy and a pleasure to be here tonight. Uh, you, you, you've been in recovery 40 years. Take us back to the very beginning, because I know off the air you said that uh, it actually had been 50 years, but there was a, there was a little uh, research you had to do. Yeah, I had a one-night stand in 1972. Often when I, if I tell my story, uh, I begin with that, because I, I think it, <laughs> that's what everybody wants to know. You know, when you pick up after nine and a half years, what happened? What went wrong? if you started out so well and did so many things right. What it comes down to 
is I, I it took me a long time to see it, but it comes down to a moment in 1968. And I, I knew that things had started going sour in 68. Uh, my first sobriety started in 62. My one night stand was in 72. It came down to my wedding day. And my first wife, I'm not, you know, going to blame her. She was very supportive of my, my AA activity. But when I thought about the wedding ceremony itself, the moment when I was walking back down the aisle with my beautiful new bride on my arm, what was in my head at that moment was, now I have everything I want in life. I don't have to grow anymore. And I never said that out loud, never said it to my wife, never said it to my sponsor. But for the next four years, that colored the way I approached the program and my life as a whole. And in those four years, my life slipped into a chaos and a despair that was every bit as bad as what brought me into the program in the first place. Were you still going to meetings? The last year, I did not get to many meetings. Mm. And uh, I had always been an eager beaver for meetings. Uh, you know, 7.30, I'd look at my watch. Uh, if I'm not doing anything, why am I not at the meeting tonight? Um, but in that last year, I signed up to do a job, a one-year contract, and I didn't, had no reason to think that the job would keep me away from meetings, but it did. It made it very difficult to get to meetings. And in the course of that year, meetings lost their importance to me. It became more and more natural just to stay away. And when I did have a chance to go, I, I, I often wouldn't. Um, I thought that I had enough basis, enough strength in the program to carry me through that year. I found out that the only strength I have is the strength that I have that I get from meetings. Without meetings, I have no lifeline. I'm lost. John X is joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast, and uh, we remind you that in keeping with the traditions, we only use first names in the second hour. I'm delighted to have Mike Hickey as my co-host tonight. Mike is uh, Seattle's poet populist. He's been a co-host on the program many, many times. Good evening, Neil, and thank you for having me back. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with John X. In, in addition to being in long-term recovery, you're also uh, a poet. Can I talk a little bit about the beginnings of poetry and how you happened to get into poetry and then how it happened to merge in with recovery? Yeah, the, the, well, you're asking for a long story. Um, we have a lot of time, John. Yeah. I got, well, I got sober, as I said, in, in 1962. Um, I had dropped out of college in 1959. And in 64, I, I went back to finish college. Where'd you go to school? Dartmouth. Mm. Um, I, I got, well, I should go back a little further probably. When I was 14, I got a scholarship to uh, Phillips Exeter Academy, which is one of the top prep schools in the country. At the time, they used to send about 20% of the senior class would go straight to Harvard. I was doing great there. I had a, a good family. Um, my father was in the program, and it was kind of a, an ideal family life. I had a lot of support. In September of my senior year, 
my mother was killed in a car accident. And in March, my father died of a heart attack. And uh, within weeks of that, I had picked up my first drink and I was off and running. I don't, I don't really make a causal connection there. I think the seeds of alcoholism were in me already. And, and I'm <clears throat> grateful that my parents were not around to watch what was going to happen to me in the next five years. You say your, your father was in program. Yeah. How long had he been sober? He must have gotten sober during World War II. I think AA in Boston began with an article in the Boston Post by a sports columnist who interviewed a catcher for the Cleveland Indians named Raleigh Hemsley, who was in the program. And the way my father talked about that article, I kind of think that's when he got started. Or, or it was, it led to his, it led to his coming to AA, certainly. There is some evidence that he was drinking when he died. I don't know whether it began after my mother's death, but uh, it, it, there was a bottle beside his bed when he was found dead in the morning. Uh, so he didn't make it. He must have had a good, he must have had 10 plus years in the program. So, so after your, your, your parents passed away, you were off and running in your addiction. I was off and running, but the day of my father's funeral, um, the people from Exeter came down and, and told me um, I had a full scholarship to Dartmouth. Um, and that kind of, Dartmouth's a big drinking school. It's up in the North Country. Mm -hmm. No no, no women around to, to hinder us. <laughs> full steam ahead. Yeah, full steam ahead. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was off and running. And I, I lasted about a year and a half at Dartmouth. But in 64, sober now, almost two years, I wanted to go back to Dartmouth. And, and they took me. Now, all of that leads up. To, now, we're almost ready to answer the question, how did I become a poet? Right. Just before Christmas vacation at the Dartmouth Film Society, they showed a film of Dylan Thomas's Child's Christmas in Wales, and with Thomas himself doing the narration. I had tears running down my cheeks from just the way he used the English language. And I thought, I want to do that. And to this day, in in some of my some of my best poems, I, I can still hear echoes of of a child's Christmas in Wales. I swear this is true. My wife was saying, "Does does John X remind you of any other poet?" And I said, "The poet that comes to mind is Dylan Thomas." <laughs> so there's definitely some of that in your voice. You know, it's I had a, an experience. Uh, let me see. Would have been back. Well. Within the last 10 years, I went back to Exeter for a reunion, and I have an Exeter poem about a Latin teacher, um, and a terrifying Latin teacher. And, <laughs> Aren't and, they all? Yes, and right. the first part of the poem is intended to be funny uh, about the way he abused us. I did that at the dinner at the, the 45th reunion. I have had standing ovations on occasion. That night I got a swarming ovation. As I came down from the podium, my classmates came up and surrounded me and began to bombard me with their stories about this Latin teacher. 
When I got back to my table, I was sitting next to the guy who had been regarded as the critic with a capital C in our class. I had one essay published in the school literary magazine. His comment on that in his story, uh, George so-and-so doesn't tell us enough. In his essay, Jack tells us too much. <laughs> and I, that, was my, that was my first experience with literary criticism. Uh, and he's sitting, that guy's sitting next to me. And I sat down, and after things had calmed down, he, of a child's Christmas in Wales. Wow. I, I, I mean, oh my. what an ear that, that, guy, that mm. guy must have had, because among all of my poems, that part of that poem is the last thing I would have expected that about. Got it. John X is joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast, 40 years in long-term recovery, and it's a delight to have John with us tonight. Mike? Well, I, I wanted to go back to poetry a little bit. Dylan Thomas is not a bad example of, of poets, great artists who have allowed drink and drug to destroy their, their physical lives. And I, I just wondered what you felt, what the connection is between art and, and alcohol or art and addiction and why some artists seem to be unable to distinguish their two lives. That's above my grade level answering that question. There is a terrific high that comes with creating something that you think is good. But that sense that you have done something is very difficult to attain. But once you've felt it, you want that high. That, that's the best connection I can make. And if you can't get it, if I, if I can't get it through what I'm writing today, there's an easy answer to that. And it's to get it, go get it somewhere else. Um, it's to get it artificially if you artificial. can't get it organically. Yeah. Yeah, and then it seems like from my experience in recovery a lot of a lot of people who are into addiction are using drugs and alcohol to mask uh, resentments, pain that they feel from the past. And it's like maybe for some artists their art is a lot allows them, at least for that moment to transcend those that pain and that bitterness, but then if do it and maintain that level uh, that some people go out and they use alcohol, just the pain they're unwilling to face either in their art or in their personal lives. There, there's also uh, what, what alcohol and drugs do. I think the first thing that goes is the faculty for self-criticism. And sometimes for an artist, it becomes that faculty is itself a stumbling block because I start writing something and I get four lines into it and I think, oh, this sucks, you know. I have to shut that critic up in order to get to that fifth line. I, I have known a lot of artists and poets who, who routinely try to lubricate their way over that hurdle because if they can just get enough down, then they can go back and edit it and produce something good. But, but that critic is, uh, well, I have a daughter who is a fabulous writer, but she doesn't know it. She, she can't. That critic has her stopped. Yeah. I mean, she will, she'll get, get excited about something and say, oh, damn it, Shakespeare already said this. 
Right. Who wants to hear my version? Right. I think it was Hemingway who said, if you write drunk, you have to edit sober. I think there are some people who are just unwilling to edit sober, even if you're not talking about drugs and alcohol, that the self-criticism is just too much for them. And sometimes I think it's important to distinguish the writer from the rewriter. Yeah. John X is joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast. Mike Hickey is my co-host. We're going to take a short time out. We will be back with more of John X. He has been in continuous recovery now since back in 1972. We'll be right back with more of Recovery Coast to Coast. I'm Neil Scott. The program is on till midnight tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be right back with more. I lie to all my friends. I mean, I look right at my kids and lie to them. I make excuses to my family. I make excuses to the people at work. I hide the truth from everyone, cover up at family holidays, you know, act as if everything's okay, pretend I'm happy. Every day, I deceive everyone close to me. This man isn't addicted to drugs or alcohol. He's just addicted to covering up for someone who is. He thinks it helps, but it doesn't. Find out what does. For more information or help, call 800-662-9111. Are you afraid? Afraid of life without drugs and alcohol? There is help and hope at Sundown M Ranch. At Sundown, the focus is on you and your disease. You will learn how to live without depending on drugs and alcohol. Sundown M Ranch is nationally recognized for effective and affordable alcohol and drug treatment programs. Reclaim your life. Replace your fears with hope. Go to www.sundown.org right now to learn more. Welcome back to Recovery Coast to Coast. I'm Neil Scott. Mike Hickey is alongside tonight. We are remembering a great, great man, Jack McCarthy. He died at the age of 73 on January 17th. A tremendous loss to the recovery community, to the poetry community, to his family and to his friends. Jack was a guest on Recovery Coast to Coast back in August of 2012. And keeping with the traditions, Jack wanted to use the name John X. Since Jack has now passed away, we can use his full name, which is Jack McCarthy, a legendary poet, one of the top national slam poets in America. He was in AA for the past 40 years continuously. He actually started going to AA some 50 years ago, stayed sober for 10 years, went out for a weekend, and as they say, keep coming back. Jack did, and he stayed in recovery continuously for the past 40 years. We are going to go back in time tonight as we bring you highlights of not only that interview that we did with Jack, but also some highlights from the memorial service in Jack's honor. So let's go back now again for our interview with Jack McCarthy using the name John X. Welcome back once again to Recovery Coast to Coast. I'm Neil Scott. Mike Hickey is alongside tonight. We're visiting with one of America's great poets, and in keeping with the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, we are calling him John X. John is uh, nice enough to join us and talk about his recovery, 40 years, going back to 1972, in long-term continuous recovery. Uh, And and John, would you grace us with a poem or two? Yeah, I I would love to. Um, This particular poem I wrote in 1992, I did it at AA meetings for several years, and I found out that if I was going to be speaking and I thought I might do the poem, I'd better bring eight or ten copies with me because people would want copies, and I would hand them out freely. And when I first got on the Internet in the year 2000, the poem was there ahead of me. <laughs> I have found it on on websites from here to... Uh, Australia, Israel, 
Saudi Arabia. Divine positioning. I, I got invited uh, to a convention in Spain about five years ago on, on, the, on the strength of this poem. The origin of it, uh, when I first came around AA in, in Boston, and most of the meetings were speaker meetings, and I loved speaking at meetings. That thing about the sound of my own voice is uh, a justifiable criticism as far as I'm concerned. One of the things I, I always wished that I could talk about was all of the drunks who lived and died before there was an AA program to come to and the absolute hopelessness of their condition. And, and I could never bring myself to talk about it. In 1992, I was just getting serious about, about writing poetry. It occurred to me that maybe this was a way that I could talk about that in a poem. And I wrote this poem, it's called Drunks. We died of pneumonia in furnished rooms where they found us three days later when somebody complained about the smell. We died against bridge abutments and nobody knew if it was suicide. And we probably didn't know ourselves, except in the sense that it was always suicide. We died in hospitals, our stomachs huge, distended, and there was nothing they could do. We died in cells, never knowing whether we were guilty or not. We went to priests, they gave us pledges. They told us to pray. They told us to go and sin no more, but go. We tried and we died. We died of overdoses. We died in bed, but usually not the big bed. We died in straitjackets and the DTs, seeing God knows what, creeping, skittering, slithering, shuffling things. And you know what the worst thing was? The worst thing was that nobody ever believed how hard we tried. We went to doctors and they gave us stuff to take that would make us sick when we drank. On the principle of so crazy it just might work, I guess. Well, they sent us places like Dropchick Murphy's. And when we came out, we were hooked on peraldehyde. Or maybe we lied to the doctors. They told us, don't drink so much. Just drink like me. And we tried. And we died. We drowned in our own vomit. Or choked on it. Our broken jaws wired shut. We died playing Russian roulette. And everybody thought we'd lost. We died under the hoofs of horses, under the wheels of vehicles, under the knives and boot heels of our brother drugs. We died in shame. You know what was even worse? Was that we couldn't believe it ourselves that we had tried. And we died believing that we didn't know what it meant to try. When we were desperate or hopeful or deluded or embattled enough to go for help, we went to people with letters after their names and prayed that they might have read the right books that had the right words in them, never suspecting the terrifying truth that the right words, as simple as they were, had not been written yet. We died falling off girders on high buildings because of course iron workers drink, of course they do. We died with a shotgun in our mouth or jumping off a bridge and everybody knew it was suicide. We died under the Southeast Expressway with our hands tied behind us and a bullet in the back of our head because this time the people that we disappointed were the wrong people. We died in convulsions or of insult to the brain, incontinent and in disgrace, abandoned. If we were women, we died degraded because women have so much more to live up to. We tried and we died and nobody cried. And the very worst thing was that for every one of us that died, 
There are another hundred of us, or another thousand, who wished that we would die, who went to sleep praying we would not have to wake up because what we were enduring was intolerable. And we knew in our hearts it wasn't ever going to change. One day in a hospital room in New York City, one of us had what the books call a transforming spiritual experience. And he said to himself, I've got it. No, you haven't. You've only got part of it. And I have to share it. Now you've almost got it. And he tried to give it away, but we couldn't hear it. The transmission line wasn't open yet. We tried to hear it. We tried and we died. We died of one last cigarette, the comfort of its glowing in the dark. We passed out in the bed caught fire. They said we suffocated before our body burned. They said we never felt a thing. That was the best way maybe that we died, except sometimes we took our family with us. And the man in New York was so sure he had it. He tried to love us into sobriety, but that didn't work either. Love confuses drunks. Still he tried and still we died. One after another, we got his hopes up and we broke his heart because that's what we do. And the very worst thing of all the worst things was that every time we thought we knew what the worst thing was, something happened that was even worse. Until the day came in a hotel lobby, and it wasn't in Rome or Jerusalem or Mecca or even Dublin or South Boston. It was in Akron, Ohio, for Christ's sake. A day came when the man said, I have to find a drunk because I need him as much as he needs me. Now you've got it. And the transmission line, after all those years, was open. The transmission line was open. And now we don't go to priests and doctors and people with letters after their names. We come to people who have been there. We come to each other. And we try. And we don't have to die. One of America's great poets. Tonight, in keeping with the tradition of anonymity, He's simply John X. And with that, we're going to take another time out. I think both Mike and I need to compose ourselves, and we will continue with the story of recovery of a man who tonight we are calling John X as Recovery Coast to Coast continues. We'll be right back. Thank you for calling AAA. How can I help you? Great. Hi, we've got a major malfunction going on here. What's the problem, sir? Well, the problem is that some friends and I decided to go whitewater rafting down this river just outside of town. Sounds adventurous. Yeah, well, it was until one of us who kept his keys in his pocket lost them. Hello. <laughs> when he fell, up, oh, I'm sorry, was thrown out of the raft by some supposed tidal wave. Oh, so you're locked out. <laughs> well, we were until our friend Brian came out with an extra set of keys. So you're not locked out. Uh, no. But Brian is. Nice job, Brian. The genius locked his keys in the car when he got out to give us our extras. Bummer. Exactly. Well, tell Brian to hang tight, and we'll be right out. Oh, you are the best. See, I told you, man. They're the best. At AAA, we understand it's never just the lockout. That's why we're dedicated to helping you with quick personal service to get you moving again. AAA. We're not just about cars. We're about you. Call 1-800-JOIN-AAA or visit AAA.com. Join now and get $10 off a basic membership.
If you're considering a career as a chemical dependency counselor, here are five reasons to enroll at the Institute of Chemical Dependency Studies. It's recommended for up to 24 hours of college credit by the American Council on Education, offers an accelerated distance learning program, is an ADAC-approved provider, and their training meets the criteria for the Certified Justice Professional Certification. Plus, student loans are also available. Start your career today. Call 866-523-2669 or go to www.cdstudies.com. We now join the new Diet 7-Up Taste Challenge already in progress. Okay, I want you all to try this and then just say the first thing that pops in your head. Amazing. Yeah, mm, totally. Mm, there's more flavor. Yeah, more natural flavor. Mm-hmm. More lemon lime flavor. Yeah, you're both right. There's more natural lemon lime flavor. Yeah, the lemon lime flavor is totally zesty, zingy, zippy, with zero calories. What is it? Yeah. New Diet 7 Up. Diet 7 Up is new? Yeah, it's been totally reinvented with mm. more natural lemon lime flavor than ever. It's totally refreshing. I love no. it. No. Uh, and it's diet too. And where's the aftertaste? Now, yeah. that is refreshing. <laughs> Here's to more flavor in our lives. Try new Diet Diet 7-Up, now with more natural lemon-lime flavor than ever. Diet 7-Up, totally reinvented, totally refreshing. Stop in to your nearest grocery or convenience store today and pick up the new Diet 7-Up. Diet 7-Up has been totally reinvented and still has zero calories. Taste the new refreshing burst of lemon-lime flavors in Diet 7-Up today. We wasted a lot of years hoping, praying for things to get better. I was desperate to save our family. That's when I made the contact. She contacted Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized alcohol and drug treatment program teaches family members how to break down the barriers of denial. They are taught the skills needed to deal with addiction as a family. Now we're making up for lost time. It was the best contact I ever made. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. Welcome back once again, Recovery Coast to Coast. Mike Hickey and I are here until midnight tonight. I'm Neil Scott. The program is on the air every night. Monday through Friday, talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. Tonight, a very special program, a tribute to a man who just passed away with 40 years of continuous recovery. In fact, he was in AA for some 50 years. He had 10 years, went out for a weekend, but came right back into the rooms. And he stayed in the rooms for the past 40 years. He was a great, great poet. He was a better human being. His family grew up back in Boston. He was a legendary slam poet back in the Boston area. He's traveled around the country, around the world, really, sharing his message. And his message came in poetry. He has a new book coming out in just a couple of months called Drunks and Other Poems of Recovery. He's got about six poetry books that have been published. He's an amazing, amazing man. And he sat down with Mike Hickey and I back in August. He had recently been given the notice that his time here on the planet was running out. He was put into hospice care. He was unable to make it into the radio station, but Mike and I decided to take the equipment to his home, and we did the interview in his home. Always respectful of the 12 traditions, He said, I don't want to use my real name until after I die. And so, in keeping with his wishes, which are also our wishes, we use the name John X. So this is Jack McCarthy using the name John X. John Xavier McCarthy. Talking about what it was like for him, what happened, and what it's like now from back in August of 2012. This is part three of that interview. Welcome back once again, Recovery Coast to Coast. Uh, Great to have you with us tonight, a very special night, as we have one of America's great poets with us tonight. Under the shadow of anonymity and keeping with the traditions, he is John X. That was an incredible poem called Drunks. 
John, let me ask you about that poem and some of the people who, whose picture you painted. There are a few famous people in the poem. Dylan Thomas, Hemingway, John Berryman jumped off a bridge. But most of the people in the poem, I set out to write it about people who died before there was an AA program to come to. But almost everyone else in the poem was someone that I knew in AA who didn't make it. The first guy in the poem died of pneumonia in furnished rooms where they found us three days later when somebody complained about the smell. That was a guy named Dennis M. who bought me breakfast the first Sunday that I was sober in November of 1962. And a week later, he was dead. He was sober. He had seen me at meetings. He recognized me from meetings. And he, had, he was a guy who had known my father in the program, actually. And he spotted me in this little diner. I had about 35 cents. I was trying to figure out how best to spend it. And he bought me, uh, he bought me eggs and home fries. And a week later, he was dead. And, and so on. Uh, all through the poem, the, the guy under the Southeast Expressway with a bullet in the back of his head was a boxer named Tony V. I had met him actually uh, when we put on a meeting at, uh, at Norfolk State Prison. But I, I grew up with Tony's brother. He was, his, Tony's brother was in the fourth grade with me. Um, he probably wouldn't have gotten to the fifth grade if he hadn't copied my math exam. <laughs> uh, the guy who died of one last cigarette was a guy I didn't know personally, but the story uh, went like wildfire through AA. He was, uh, he lived in Westwood, Massachusetts, a member of the Westwood group, and he had gone out for a one night stand and uh, he burned his house down and all his family with him. And I, mm. I could uh, put the, a lot the, of- The Dylan Thomas reference, talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, the, uh, it's funny that, we talked about him before, and now he's, he found his way in here. Uh, he, that's the phrase. He, we died uh, in convulsions or of insult to the brain. And the phrase insult to the brain is in quotation marks because I'm told that that was the cause of death in Dylan Thomas's autopsy. The story is he got stabbed in the eye, or he stabbed himself in the eye by accident with the thorn of a rose. And somehow this turned into a brain infection that killed him. I probably don't have all those facts straight, but, but I'm pretty sure that the phrase insult to the brain is, is on the money. John X is joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast. Uh, he has been in long-term recovery, continuous recovery for 40 years. He actually got into recovery 50 years ago, was in recovery for 10 years, did a little research on, on what he calls a one-night stand, and uh, came back into the program and is now uh, uh, in AA for the last 40 years. And again, in keeping with the traditions, we only use first names, and in this case, we have changed the name. Uh, this gentleman is one of America's great poets. Makes no difference who he is. It is what he is saying tonight, and we're delighted to have you with us. What is your recovery date in 1972? It was in the middle of April, and I celebrated as April 15th. I'm not certain. I, I never went back and actually looked at the calendar. It bothers me that that my celebration of my recovery date is so close to being the celebration of my slip. But the slip, again, uh, I it was something that needed to happen.
I was definitely headed in the wrong direction. Thank God I was able to get back. I, I, my intention, I didn't want to drink. Uh, my intention was to die. I wanted to drink myself to death or, you know, hey, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not going to step in front of a train sober. Just do something to ease the skids. And uh, after one night of drinking, I woke up the next morning and thought, I am not tough enough for this life anymore. Uh, I was used to waking up feeling good in the morning for nine and a half years. And there's only one place to go. I had to come back with my my hat in my hand and my tail between my legs and uh, start all over again. In April of 1972, John X back in the program. What is recovery like for you today, 40 years later? How has it changed? How is it more empowered? Well, in, in my own life, um, recovery is my life. I mean, I, I didn't expect to live to see 25. And here I am, 73 and counting. In my own life, I cannot separate recovery from life. Uh, re recovery is life. How is your recovery different today than it was 40 years ago? Oh, you know, we talk about addiction and alcoholism being progressive in a negative sense. Recovery should be progressive in a positive Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. I did a lot of things wrong in the beginning. And even after I came back, it took me a while to really get into the 12 steps. And consequently, it took me a long time before I felt that the promises were coming true for me. Today, all of those promises have come true. And, and what you said earlier about the progression, I, I think my favorite promise is we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. And that was the last one that came true for me. But, but I think what that promise is saying, back at the beginning, we have to turn our lives over to a sponsor. We cannot trust. When I go into my own head, I'm in dangerous territory. Um, that's, heard that at a meeting yesterday, and it, it was as true now as it was then. No, it's not as true now as it was then. Not for me, because what that promise means is that there comes a point where you can trust your instincts again. Uh, the, the instincts have been there. All of my instincts at the beginning were gonna point me toward alcohol. If I, if, I, if I let them work. Everything in me wanted to drink. It's as though there's a separate entity inside my skull that has one agenda and one agenda only, and it will use any fact, any argument to try to keep me from getting serious about AA. And if I don't have some corrective influence in my life, which is a sponsorship, which is meetings, then, then that voice is going to take over and, and have me out the door. I remember the first, I, I'll say six weeks of my sobriety, feeling all day long as though I was in danger, as though I was living right on the edge. 5149 one way, 5149 the other way, never knowing how, how it was going to break and, and thinking, you know, why am I bringing all this effort? I know it's not going to work. And the only time that voice let up was when I would walk inside the doors of an AA meeting 
and and inside those doors i would be safe for two hours and the minute i would walk out those doors the voice was back there again the minute i walked out into the darkness the battle started all over again but i put it at about the six week mark there was one night when i walked out and the voice wasn't there anymore and and from that moment i, I began to have some real hope that this thing could work for me. And now here we are 40 years later. John X joining us on Recovery Coast to Coast. My co-host tonight is Mike Hickey. Mike? Well, I have so many things that I wanted to touch on, but one thing I wanted to make sure that we don't leave this evening without touching on with John X is this this uh, moniker that you've gained over the years of a stand-up poet. Um, I know that there are stand-up comics, and I know that while there are a lot of comedic moments in this manuscript, there's all it's mostly pretty serious kind of stuff. And I just was wondering, is, is stand-up poet synonymous with your history as a slam poet, as a, as a performance artist? That, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I actually, when it came time for me to create my own poetry business card, I agonized over what I should call myself because called myself a poet. Uh, people would imagine someone who went off in a room and produced things that you could take off in, into your room and read. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the kind of poetry that I was really. If I called myself a performance poet, I felt that sort of implied that everything I did needed to be performed. And, and I was giving away my right to stand in front, front of an audience and read a new poem. And, and that is where it all begins for me, is, is going in front of an audience with a new poem and finding out that, that it worked. Uh, that's the great excitement. So I came up, and I do think that what we do in the, I'll call it the live poetry world, I, I'm all about audience. I'm all about live audience. What we comes does come close to stand-up comedy, but I also grew up in Dorchester with a bunch of guys who appreciate stand-up guys. Right. Mm. And a stand-up guy is somebody who doesn't rat the rest of the squad out right. when he when he goes to prison. Right. He's loyal. He's loyal. Yeah. And I, I, I think. We respect stand-up guys where I come from. So, so the phrase stand-up poetry guy was the phrase that I put on my, my business card. It's a little ironic now because um, with my breathing problem, I have to sit down to do my poetry now. But I still think I nailed something when I created that business card. And, and your poems have a very conversational, and I mean that in the only the best way. I feel we were talking about off the air that a lot of contemporary, I feel like somebody's blowing pipe smoke in my face. It's very dense, it's very obscure. I don't know what the hell they're talking about half the time. And every poem that I've read of John X, I've never gotten to the end thinking to myself, what, what was that all about? I always felt like this is somebody who has something important to say. And we were talking earlier about the divide between the poets who feel like we should be out there to mystify and, I, I don't know, confuse of the world versus the poets who actually feel like they to say and feel like they want to share it with the world. Geez, I was at a uh, the Edmonton Poetry Festival a couple of years ago. I, I was speaking, and I, I I talked about how the problem with with American poetry, uh, especially the last part of the last century, 
it had devolved into poets writing for each other. The first question I got from the audience was, what's wrong with poets writing for each other? And first thought was to cringe. Oh God, he's got me with that. But the words came out of my mouth before I'd even thought them. I said, there's nothing wrong with it. It just shouldn't be the only thing that's happening. Mm. Right, exactly. How has your recovery enhanced your poetry and how has your poetry enhanced your recovery? Well, without the recovery, there wouldn't have been any poetry at all. I mean, it, it, it's that simple. My, uh, my disease was such that, you know, I was, I was living in Never Never Land. I was completely in my own head. I, I, I remember a few poems that I produced in bar rooms and uh, they are embarrassing to me now. I, I wish I could just forget them completely, but they're there. Without recovery, there'd be no poetry. The poetry, the, the combination of the poetry and the recovery, I think the person that I am comes through in my poetry. The person that I am, the person that I would most like to be. And that, that personality, that voice that, it, that is in the poetry uh, is shaped by recovery. I have a lot of poems that are about recovery, but I also have a lot of poems that, that make no mention of recovery. I mean, the great majority of my poems uh, make no mention of recovery, but I think if you read between the lines, you will find, you, you'll hear voices that you, you might hear at, at a meeting. John X is joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast. Mike Hickey is my co-host. We're going to take another short time out. We will be back with more of John X, one of America's great poets tonight. Under the banner of anonymity, we call him John X. We'll be back with John right after this. Alcohol is running your life. You want help but can't take time away from work to get it. Where do you turn? Contact Sundown M Ranch. Sundown M Ranch outpatient programs have helped thousands recover from addiction without losing time on the job. Nationally recognized for innovative, effective, and affordable treatment programs, Sundown M Ranch will help you put your life back on track. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. I promise to hug my husband. I promise to eat a vegetable as big as my head. What promises have you made today? I promise not to paint the living room. American Family Insurance knows promises are easy to make. Until my wife picks out a color she likes. But they're not always easy to keep. At American Family, the commitments we make are commitments we intend to keep. Because our promises are the foundation of relationships we've built with generations of policyholders. I promise to take my dog for a walk. We promise to treat your family like our family and give you honest, straightforward answers. We promise. I like taking my dog for a walk. Visit AmFam.com to find an American Family Agent near you. American Family Insurance. All your protection under one roof. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its subsidiaries. Home Office, Madison, Wisconsin.
The Institute of Chemical Dependency Studies Distance Learning Training offers the required curriculum necessary to start working as a chemical dependency counselor. It's academically solid, provides learning experiences in various formats with an emphasis on treatment, prevention, counseling techniques, case management, and other related areas, offering basic knowledge and skills to be a successful chemical dependency counselor. Find out more about this NADAC-approved training. Call 866-523-2669 or go to www.cdstudies.com. First, your child's heart rate and blood pressure will drop. Your child may experience nausea and want to sleep it off. Hopefully, your child will resist that urge and won't slip into a coma or die from this prescription painkiller overdose. Of course, kids who learn about the dangers of drugs from their parents are 40% less likely to abuse prescription drugs than those who don't. So talk to your child now, and there's a pretty good chance that this will never happen to your child. For more information, visit drugfree.org. A message from Partnership for a Drug-Free Washington in America. Need professional-looking documents? Office Depot can help. From small jobs to bound presentations, bring in your document or submit it at officedepot.com. We'll ship virtually anywhere. Plus, our work is backed by the Office Depot Satisfaction Guarantee. Office Depot, taking care of business. Certain restrictions apply. See store for details. Welcome back once again, Recovery Coast to Coast. Tonight, we are honoring a man who has been in continuous recovery some 40 years. He died on January 17th of this year. His name, Jack McCarthy, a legendary national poet. He grew up in the Boston area, moved to Seattle back in 2003, along with his lovely wife, Carol. He's lived his life one day at a time for basically the last 50 years. He went into AA some 50 years ago, 10 years into recovery. He he went out for a weekend of research, but came right back in and has been continually in recovery since then, some 40 years ago. His home group up in Marysville, Washington. Jack died on January 17th. There was a memorial held in his honor up in Marysville. We're going to give you some of the highlights of that uh, in just a few moments. But before that, we want to finish up our interview with Jack McCarthy. It was done back in August of 2012. My Kiki and I sat down with Jack in his home where he had the opportunity to talk about his recovery, to share some poetry as well. He was an amazing, amazing man. He used the name John X in that interview because he wanted to keep within the guidelines of the 12 traditions. Now that Jack has passed away, it is permissible to use his full name, Jack McCarthy. And what a full life Jack McCarthy led. We will take a quick pause for station identification, and we will be back with the next part of our interview with Jack McCarthy. And by the way, if you'd like to see a tribute to Jack that was played at the memorial, just go to YouTube and put in Jack McCarthy Tribute. Station ID, and we'll be right back. This is KHHO AM 850 in Tacoma, Washington, broadcasting from Clear Channel Studios in Seattle. Welcome back once again, Recovery Coast to Coast. I'm Neil Scott. Great to have you with us tonight. We are on the air till midnight tonight. John X is joining us tonight, a grateful recovering alcoholic. He has been in continuous recovery now for some 40 years. John, tell me about Carol. Tell me about the woman who drives you to poetry. (laughs) Carol is an amazing woman. She's driving me everywhere today. I'm not in great shape physically anymore. She waits on me hand and foot. When I met her and married her, she turned me into a poet, really. I had given up on poetry, but I made the mistake uh, the first night we met 
of, I was trying to impress Carol. We met through a personal ad. I mentioned in the personal ad that I had had poems published and plays produced. And perhaps she asked something about those poems. I gave her a copy of my, my life's work, which at that time was about 40 pages. She made a, a decision that I needed to get serious about writing poetry. After we were married, she blackmailed me into going to a workshop with Galway Cannell. She pushed me into a corner. She, she said, so, so the only reason you don't go to the, want to go to this workshop is the money. And I said, oh, of course, that's the only reason. She said, you're not the least little bit afraid to go to the workshop. So of course, I'm not afraid. She said, then I'll pay for it. And she had me. Um, <laughs> Damn. And that, that got me started. Actually, the poem Drunks was written about three months after that workshop. And there were a couple of poems written at the workshop that I, that I still do on occasion. But that got me started. What really got me going, though, was when I, when I discovered the open mic movement, which was about a year later than that. But Carol, Carol has been an incredible support and a pusher. She, she gets me to do things that, uh, that I would not normally have to have the courage to do. I, I don't like to. I don't like to put myself out there too much. Uh, I don't like to force myself on people. I don't self-promote very well. With Carol's help, I, I I get to do things that that I would never I would never have attempted otherwise. She is an amazing amazing support. You know, next to recovery itself, the best life decision I ever made. How long have you been married? Uh, 21 years. Wow. Second marriage for me. And you know, they say that, that, that the addiction, the disease of alcoholism is a family disease. But what oftentimes doesn't get talked about, which does get talked about on Recovery Coast to Coast very often, is that it really helps to have a support system at home. Somebody who understands, somebody who knows that it's going to be a trigger if, you, if somebody leaves a 12-pack of beer sitting in the refrigerator or something like that. And it sounds like Carol has been a really good support team for you. Oh, absolutely. She, uh, uh, her father was an alcoholic who did not get sober in the program. He did ultimately stop drinking. He was on a marijuana maintenance program. Um, but her life as a child was growing up with an alcoholic father was, was pretty horrendous. And so she, she comes in with a great respect for uh, AA and sobriety. Tell me about the wedding of Kathleen and Mark. Would you like to hear the poem? Absolutely. By the way, I, I got a call from Kathleen this morning. She just found out that her second child, which will be coming in January, will be her second son. Her first son, he's named after me. Kathleen asked me to write a poem for her wedding, which was about seven or eight years ago. And this is, this is the poem I wrote. It's called Epithalamion, a few words for Kathleen. We're here today to celebrate the wedding of Kathleen and Mark. Kathleen, when she was eight years old, started coming with me to AA meetings on Friday nights. That group had really good coffee. And as she would make her way time after time to the coffee pot, I would lose sight of Kathleen because she was short. 
but I could follow her progress by watching the heads turn to bless her with their eyes as she passed, beautiful child that she was. At the break, they would raffle off a big book, and when the meeting broke up, Kathleen would go from table to table, collecting all the discarded raffle tickets, which she would bring home and store in a shoebox. Why? I never figured it out. Up came my anniversary, and my sponsor was out of town, so I asked Kathleen if she'd be willing to say a few words in front of a room full of grown-ups, and she was game. Kathleen was always game. She had to stand on a chair to reach the microphone. And if I remember right, what she said was, it is always an occasion when someone celebrates their 11th anniversary. Jack? And if I had been expecting something a little more, what, personal? Still, it was a great beginning for a 10-year run. The next year, she didn't need to stand on the chair. She wrote a poem that began, my dad is the best. He's been that way since birth. It's a shame there's only one of him on the planet Earth. Kathleen's presence those Friday nights lit up that big gymnasium. And a lot of people who never got to watch their own kids grow up came to look forward to her presentations as a highlight of their year. Tom G., who couldn't come with us when we put on meetings in prisons, said to me, that kid is the best advertisement for this program that anyone could ever see. And Billy T., a former 300-pound biker, told me he had a daughter Kathleen's age somewhere. And every year he would cry at her presentation. But it was the good cry. Now it's my turn to say a few words for Kathleen. But she's tied my hands a little, made me promise not to make her cry. So I'll address my comments to the groom. Probably most fathers of the bride, if they were honest, would admit that they don't think there's a young man in the world who's worthy of their little girl. I want Mark to know that I don't feel that way, particularly. Still, what I'm sure of is that Kathleen and Mark have been extraordinarily lucky to find each other. It's crazy out there. Most of us feel fortunate to find anyone willing to cast their lot with us, let alone the right person. Today, my heart is telling me that this is right. Now, Mark, about the dowry. I'm afraid I have to ask to be dispensed from that particular archaic tradition. It's not that I'm ungenerous, just unemployed. But somewhere among Kathleen's belongings, in a cellar or an attic or at the bottom of a closet, you might still find a shoebox full of raffle tickets that didn't win anything. If you find it, Mark, hang on to it. A lot of hopes went into that box. The hopes of people whose last names I never knew. People who didn't win life's lotteries, didn't dodge all of life's bullets, who once looked at Kathleen and took heart, who loved her and left their tickets on the tables in hope that they might be for her tickets to a better life than they had had. And any time you feel that life's too hard and you're too much alone, take that box out. Run your fingers through those old raffle tickets. Mix them up real good. And think about how much luck it takes to find the one person in the world that we were meant to find. Then go to the kitchen and put on a pot of some really good coffee and make enough for two.
one of America's great poets, John X. We're going to take a short time out. We'll be right back. I'm Neil Scott. It's Recovery Coast to Coast. These days, we talk about everything. I've been sober now one year, three days, and counting. My sister was restructured at work after 10 years. Welcome to the new normal and the cards for the new normal. New Journeys cards from Hallmark. My girlfriend sent me a card that said I'm really something to celebrate. Encouragement cards for all the stuff we face today. I actually found a card that says, sorry you lost your job. Journeys, new cards with real words for real life. Only at today's Hallmark Gold Crown stores. She has always been your baby, but when your daughter got into drugs and alcohol, she turned into a stranger. What do you do? Where do you turn? Contact Sundown M Ranch. Sundown's nationally recognized youth treatment program guides young people back to a life free of drugs and alcohol. All treatment is gender specific and directed by caring certified professionals in a safe environment. You can get your daughter back and get to know her again. Go to www.sundown.org to learn more. Your daughter's wasted. Again. You ignore it. You get help. Before long, she's been arrested. Before long, she's been promoted. You post bail. You congratulate her. And then her addiction really takes and off. And then her career really takes off. She stops in from time to time for she money. She stops in from time to time for coffee. But then it's right back to the street. But then it's right back to the office. Years later... The police stop by. Years later, your daughter and son-in-law stop by. They've got bad news. They've got good news. She's gone. She's expecting. You cry. Choose to help a loved one struggling with drugs or alcohol. It could change everything. For more information or help, call 800-662-9111. Here is something to think about. Problem gambling is exactly that, a problem. Looking for a solution? Well, there is a way out. And there is help for you or someone you love who's caught in the web of problem gambling. Help is as close as your phone. Call the Washington State Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-800-522-4700. For confidential help and free information, call a real winning number, 1-800-522-4700. They have the solution for problem gambling. Recovery Coast to Coast is a program feature of the nonprofit Alliance for Recovery. On the air, thanks to the generosity of our friends and listeners. Now, if you're enjoying Recovery Coast to Coast and would like to help us to continue to carry the message of hope and the promise of recovery, you can make a tax-deductible contribution to the Alliance for Recovery at P.O. Box 31451, Seattle, Washington, 98103. Thank you in advance for your support. Welcome back to Recovery Coast to Coast. We are honored tonight to be able to look back at the life of a legend in the poetry community, in the community of recovery, and in the community of life. His name is Jack McCarthy. Jack passed away at the age of 73 on the 17th of January, following 40 years of continuous recovery. Prior to that, he had 10 years in AA, went out for a weekend, but came right back. An amazing man. The memorial for Jack McCarthy was recently held in Marysville, and a little later on in the hour, we are going to play some highlights from that memorial. But right now, we continue with an interview that Jack did with Mike Hickey and I back in August of 2012. Jack insisted on using the name John X in maintaining the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. Now that Jack has passed away, we do not need to maintain that anonymity any longer. The amazing Jack McCarthy. Here is more of that interview. Welcome back once again, Recovery Coast to Coast, the only program in America on the air five nights a week talking about recovery. 
talking about addiction with a focus on recovery. John X is joining us tonight, 40 years in long-term recovery, one of America's great poets. Tonight, we just simply call him John X. My co-host tonight is Mike Hickey. Mike? So I would like if we could get back to poetry a little bit. Um, I was wondering what some of the artistic influences have been in, have been in your life. You talked about Dylan Thomas. Are there any, and Galway Canal, of course, one of the preeminent poets in America today. Are there any other major poets that, that have influenced you? First of all, before I answer that question, um, I have to say I'm, I, I want your audience to understand that uh, if you are going through your list of America's great poets and trying to figure out which one I am, I'm probably not on your <laughs> radar yet. Uh, but it's nice to be called one of America's great poets. Uh, I, I won't argue. I won't argue with that. Never argue with the host. Right? <laughs> it doesn't go well, John. Now, I, your question again. Your, your oh, influences, influences. Yeah. Uh, you know, my first book. I listed my influences as Dylan Thomas, Robert Frost, and Garrison Keillor. Mm. Um, I actually shook hands with Robert Frost when I was 18. I have a poem about that. And Thomas, I've already told the story of right. Child's Christmas in Wales. But it was Garrison Keillor on Prairie Home Companion who taught me the entertainment potential of simple storytelling. And a lot of uh, the, the people who talk about my poems um, use the word storyteller in preference to the word poet. Almost all my poems have, do have a strong narrative thread. And the reason my, I think my poems are long is that you know most, most lyric poems will function on, on some kind of metaphor. This thing is like that thing. My poems will function on this story is like that story. But to make that point, I have to tell both stories first. And it's, it's longer than, than describing two flowers or, right. you know, or a flower and a, and a bobcat. Yeah, right. And of course, the rooms of AA are replete with lots of amazing stories. In fact, you have a poem called The Story. We all share, anybody in recovery has the story. There are simply different machinations of that story. Our stories disclose. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I'll tell you a story. When I went back to Dartmouth in 1964, I was still very disorganized. I was late filing for my classes. I was signed up for three classes, two of the classes there was only one, and I hadn't reason because I was late. I didn't get my schedule uh, on the by the first day of classes. It wasn't ready yet. Now, two of my classes, there was only one option, so I knew what to go to. The third class, though, was creative writing, and there were three options for that. The reason I wanted to take creative writing was I thought I might want to tell some of the stories that I'd heard in AA. There's so much material there. Right. I picked one of the three classes. There's one that was taught by a guy named Chauncey Loomis. And I thought, oh, I always end up with teachers with names like Chauncey Loomis. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> Who actually turned out to be a terrific guy. But, but, but he, 
I wasn't in his class. So the next day I got my schedule and I realized I'd gone to the wrong class and I was going to have to seek out the, the right teacher and find out what had happened in the first class and what he had assigned for next week. And I did. I went to the English department. I knocked on the door and I walked in. Guy, boy says, come in. And uh, there's this cocky looking guy sitting behind a desk, tilted back in a swivel chair, playing with a pencil. And he looks at his class directory and sees John X reads it to me, class of 61. And knowing that this is now 1964, he says, where have you been for five years? You're, you're five years late. And what have you been doing? And I started to say, I said, well, I've been doing this and that, none of it very long, none of it very well. But then I thought, wait a minute, I want to write about AA. And, and these writing teachers always talk, write about what you know. So I might as well tell this guy that this is what I know. So I said, my problem when I was here before was that I was an alcoholic. And the swivel chair came down and the pencil hit the desk. He said, you're kidding. And I thought, oh, a wise guy. Next thing he's going to say, isn't everybody here an alcoholic? Right. But I went ahead and I said, and two years ago I got into AA and I've been putting my life together one piece at a time. And this is how far I've gotten at this point. Well, he sat back in the chair and he commenced to tell me his story. He had dropped out of college the same age that I had dropped out because of alcohol, gone back sober the same age that I was coming back sober and gone through college and grad school with straight A's in California. This was his first teaching job. He had been in New England for six days, had not made an AA connection yet. And out of 3,000 students and 500 faculty, I had walked into his office and said, I'm an alcoholic. There are no coincidences, God incidences. I got an A in the course. You know, I had been so afraid that I wasn't going to be able to make it because Dartmouth was a big drinking school and there are a lot of people there who remembered me from the first time around and I did not want to face those people. And nobody from Boston had gone back to college full time at that point. You know, when you do something for the first time, you don't know whether it's possible or not. So I was really scared. And, you know, from that moment, mm. I knew I was in the right place. I made the right decision. Right. Wow. You, you mentioned Boston. Tell me your memories of Kenmore Square. Kenmore Square. Well, it's pretty close to Fenway Park. I have a lot of memories of Fenway Park. I have a, a poem called Kenmore Square, mm -hmm. which when I wrote it, I wasn't thinking there was an AA connection at all. It's a true story. I knew a poet who would make a couple hundred copies of a poem and stick them in a pouch, like a mailman who wrote all the mail himself. Saturday mornings, he would walk Commonwealth Avenue from the public gardens all the way to Kenmore Square, smile at everyone he met, and offer each a poem. Most people accepted them. At Kenmore, he would turn and start back Commonwealth, conscientious to retrace the same side of that gracious boulevard. And he would reclaim his poems 
from the sidewalks and the gutters where they'd been discarded. And he would stuff the pieces back into his pouch. We watch others go through life, leaving bodies strewn behind and wonder vaguely what our own trail looks like. Bless those brave enough actually to walk that backward track. They walk it for us all. John X joining us on Recovery Coast to Coast, one of truly America's great poets, sharing some poetry with us tonight. John, you have been in long-term recovery 40 years. You've, you've been in the program 50 years and, and had that, that one slip. Fast forward to today and in this particular point in time, in December of 2010, uh, you had some colon cancer surgery. How is your health today? What is life like for John? Well, uh, last time I talked to my oncologist, he said, cancer is the least of your worries. Now, that sounds like really good news coming from an oncologist until you think about it. Uh, <laughs> but but can the cancer has pretty well all been caught and dealt with early. But I now have a, a breathing problem, and nobody's quite sure exactly what's causing it. Nobody has told me that I have six months to live or give me any number like that. But they have told me that if there are things I want to do, do them now. Don't wait six months hoping that you'll feel better. So I've been, I've been doing a lot of those things. The scary thing is that they started telling me that about six months ago, but but I'm I'm still feeling like I've got I've got a I've got a way to run, I've got a way to go. Um, as long as this breathing doesn't get any worse, I, I'm getting better at strategies for dealing with it. I'm getting a little more adventurous about about getting out and doing the things that matter to me, and I have a book of recovery poems that uh, that we're working on that will be published under the name John X if I'm still alive when it's ready for release and they'll have my actual name on them if uh, if I'm dead when the book is ready. We're prepared for all contingencies at this point. Uh, I'm okay with this. To me, you know, death, I, I, I have a poem I wrote recently in which I, I describe it as the next great adventure. Mm -hmm. And and that's the way I feel about it. I don't like pain, but death in principle never scared me all that much. How do you want to be remembered? I, I think of that recovery book as my legacy. I, I would like to be remembered by that book and some of these poems more than, more than anything else. It's funny though, uh, I, I recently had a book release and, and what was generously described as a roast in, in Seattle. <laughs> and some, some have said it was more like a testimonial than a roast, and it really was. Um, it was, if a few people hadn't actually roasted me, it would have gotten embarrassing. <laughs> but uh, what you expect to hear from other poets is how much your poetry has influenced them how much it has inspired them. Uh, if they're going to say something good about you, that, that's what you think you're going to hear. And instead, I was hearing uh, random acts of kindness, many of which I didn't even remember doing. 
I, I don't mind being remembered that way either. I, I think it it says a lot. It says a lot about my program. I, I was I was at that event, and I'll never forget. There was a young girl. I want to say she was 15 or 16, and she was a performance poet, and I don't remember her name. And she came up and she said something along the lines of it was her first performance, and she was terrified. And she had practiced so hard and tried to really nail it. And she felt like she was just a disaster on stage. And as she was walking off stage feeling, oh, well, I'll never do this again, you had come, she was almost out of the building the way she made it sound. You had come up to her and said, that was really good. You're going to be really good. Keep working hard at it. And she said that completely turned her attitude around. And I could tell when she was saying it, I kept shooting a look over to you and Carol, and I could tell that it was probably something that you didn't even remember saying. But it had this incredible impact on that young woman. And when I and when she, I've 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 heard her poetry since on online, and she's a powerful poet. And you really gave her that little oomph, that little extra push in terms of finding her voice. And so that's a that's a pretty tremendous legacy to go along with all this great poetry. You know that that's something. I, I once sponsored a guy who came to me with a question about a spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. He wondered. He said, you know. I know this is a stupid question, John, but because nobody, I, I never heard anybody say it before. It's just my idea. And he said, do you think the spiritual awakening could have anything to do with listening, learning to listen? And I thought, my God, my God, he's on to something. Because when I came into this program, I didn't listen to anybody. Um, and, and one thing that AA and the open mic movement have in common is one person at a time talks and everybody else listens. And there's a respect in that listening. When I first started going to open mics, I would sit there and they'd be calling the names one at a time. And I'd be sitting there thinking, not my turn, not my turn, not my turn. My turn! Now it's my turn. And, you know, people would come up to me on occasion and say, you know, I really like that poem. And I would wish that I could say something about their poem, but I hadn't been listening. So I started listening. And uh, the, the connection between AA and open mics is that nobody will ever, no matter how off the wall you are, nobody ever is going to tell you to shut up. People will <laughs> listen and, you know, they, they might say, keep coming. They might say, you know, uh, yeah, I get a lot of keep coming in the beginning. Yeah, um, but they'll listen to you, uh, and 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 I learned to listen in AA, and 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 I, I that carries over with me into the into the poetry world, and I I do I when I when I sit at an open mic, I take notes. I try to write down uh, the name of the poet. If they give the if the poem has a title, I'll write that down, because if I see them three weeks later, and and I and I really liked their poem, I will want to be able to say something, but I won't be able to remember what the poem was. Mm, right. You know, and and it really defeats the purpose to say I really enjoyed that unmemorable poem you did a couple <laughs> of weeks ago. Uh, and we talk about to in in the program, to keep it, you got to give it away. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I think we're not. 
fully cognizant of the fact that just one word, one phrase, one compliment at the right time can really bolster somebody's spirit, you know? Yeah. What is the role of spirituality in your recovery? Uh, it's enormous. I spend a lot of time every day in prayer, and I'm not praying for myself, and it's not something new since since I started uh, having the illness. It's, it's something that I've been doing for years. Basically, I had a problem when I first came in. That's one of the voices was telling me to get out of this program because I was a Catholic, and these people said the Protestant, our father. You know, they, <laughs> the God that they talked about was not the God that I had grown up with. It was a different God. It would be a violation of my Catholicism to, to keep going to this thing. And, and that was a battle for me, it really was. And one day, you know, I just had, I had an insight. And I swear I can remember where I was. And I was coming out of a smoke shop on Broadway in South Boston. And it hit me that no God I ever heard of would want me to destroy myself with alcohol. So give this thing a try. Now, since then, I've had my my differences with the Catholic Church. The phrase, darkening the door, comes to mind. I did call myself in, in one of my, my book titles a relapsing, remitting Catholic. <laughs> but, uh, but the relapse is over. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going back at this point. That, that's another, another issue entirely, though. But what has happened over the years in terms of spirituality, the God that I believe in today is the God that I meet around the table at AA meetings. That's the stories that I hear. I hear God's voice. I absolutely believe that when we stand up at the end of the meeting and join hands, God's hand is in that circle. Every meeting, every week, every day, that's where my God lives. John X has been joining us tonight on Recovery Coast to Coast. Uh, Mike Hickey, my co-host. Before we wrap this up, John, what advice do you have for newcomers today who may look at you enamored of 40 years and yet they're trying to struggle and get 24 hours? It gets better. It gets easier. All you have to do is survive these first days and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Do the things that you're told. Don't try to reinvent the program. If you if you do those things, it is inevitable that one day you will come into the promises. Those promises are for real. They're for real. Every one of them has, has come true in my life. Keep coming. It works. It works if you work it. And work it, you're worth it. Yeah. John X on Recovery Coast to Coast. Uh, we always say the bright side of alcoholism is recovery, and you certainly embrace that fully. Mike, I thank you for your time tonight uh, as co-host. Uh, we're going to wrap things up and uh, uh, remind you that we'll be here again on Recovery Coast to Coast, Monday through Friday, 10 to midnight. Nice to have you with us. And, John, thank you so much for your story tonight. It has been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me on. And uh, you out there listening, Thank you for the gift of your listening. I'm Neil Scott, the program Recovery Coast to Coast. Dasvidaniya. That concludes the interview that Mike Hickey and I did with Jack McCarthy back in August of 2012. 
Jack then using the name John X. Tonight we honor Jack McCarthy, who passed away on January 17th following a long battle with cancer. We're going to take a short time out. When we come back, we're going to play you some of the highlights of the memorial that was in Jack's honor up in Marysville in the very church where his home group met every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. We will come back on the other side and continue our tribute to Jack McCarthy. Stay with us. Aha! <laughs> Think earlier. Brew Starbucks at home. Available where groceries are sold. Today is the day. Think earlier. Brew Starbucks at home. Available where groceries are sold. Yeah, I've been drunk in the last 30 days. And how old are you? 13. Do your parents know? No. In Washington, one in six eighth graders used alcohol in the past month. I'm Governor Gregoire. We can keep kids alcohol-free if we start talking now. About how many times have you had five or more drinks in a row this month? Maybe three. And how old are you? Fifteen. For more information, visit StartTalkingNow.org. That's StartTalkingNow.org. Tonight we are honoring the memory, the legacy of Jack McCarthy. Forty years in continuous recovery in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, Jack McCarthy. When Jack was on the program, as you heard in the interview... He used the name John X. He was a stickler for the traditions. Jack really honored the traditions of the program. Since his passing, there have been two memorials, one back in Lexington, Massachusetts, attended by all of his Boston friends and family, including his daughters and grandchildren, and just a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. I had the privilege of speaking at that memorial, as well as the memorial that was at Jack's home group church, the Unitarian Church up in Marysville, Washington. Here is the beginning of that memorial. Here is the Reverend Dr. Linda Hart. I'd like to invite Mike McGee to come forward to read with spaces between. Thanks. Um, <clears throat> on the way down here, I wanted to point out, because there's just two Awesome. The car I was riding in, uh, Amanda Bettis's car, uh, full of Bellingham folk. We, we, the car stalled on the exit coming out uh, here in Marysville, and immediately a tow truck pulled up and said, "Do you need a ride?" And Robert Houston goes, "That's Jack. Thanks, Jack." Then the Vancouver carload of poets pulls up in front of the tow truck and asks us if we need a ride. So, thanks, Jack. And then Sarah and Marcus just told me a story about how on the way here, it was storming like crazy, and all of a sudden it cleared, and they could see a full rainbow. They like drove through a full rainbow. And they're like, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me up here. The spaces between. It hurts when love dies. When love is deep, it hurts deeply. More deeply, maybe, than you thought anything would ever hurt again. But with time, the spaces between the moments when it hurts get longer. The moments themselves become less devastating till eventually you come to associate them with a sad sweetness that has as much in common with love as it does with grief. I will not say don't grieve for me. Do I look like St. Francis? But I wish you long spaces between and may you carry into them all of that sweetness and only enough sadness to attest the risk that's being taken by everyone who loves you. 
every time we love, we're saying, let it ride. And what's on the table is the rent money. And every time we stride again out into that crisp desert night, our fists shoved deep into empty pockets, we know ourselves for losers. But Jesus, what brave losers we are. I wish you this too, for the spaces in between, this bravery. Following Mike McGee's reading of Jack's poem, Spaces Between, I had the honor of showing a video tribute that I did in Jack's honor, which contained photos of Jack, some pieces of poetry that we had recorded together, and the wonderful, wonderful song by Carla Bonoff called Goodbye, My Friend. I'd like to invite Neil forward to introduce the video tribute for Jack. In the words of Jack McCarthy, I don't much care what happens in the immediate aftermath of my death. Just please, don't do anything sad. Let there be parties. And so it is, welcome to Jack's party. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Neil Scott. And I am probably the one here today who knew Jack the least amount of time. Yet the depth of friendship has little to do with time and so much to do with love. I was privileged to be at Jack's memorial last week in Lexington, Massachusetts, where Jack was actually present in a New Balance shoebox. <laughs> I figured you'd get that. For those who don't know, in one of his poems, Jack said, when I die, don't bury my body, put it in an old shoebox. And that shoebox was front and center, though I'm not sure how many people realize the significance of the shoebox. Now, those of you who knew Jack well know what a wonderful and unique sense of humor he had. And I swear that during the service, I could hear Jack whisper in my ear, how ironic. I'm now Jack in the box. <laughs> I am the producer and host of a national radio show called Recovery Coast to Coast uh, that deals exclusively with addiction and recovery. It originates from Clear Channel Studios in Seattle on 8.50 a.m. This past August, my friend Mike Hickey, who frequently co-hosts with me on Recovery Coast to Coast, first told me about Jack. He called me up to tell me about this amazing man who had been continuously sober for 40 years. He said, we have got to get him on the radio show. I told him to set it up and soon learned that because of Jack's health issues, it would be too much for him to go to our studios in Seattle. So I suggested that we take the remote equipment that I use when doing the show in other parts of the country over to Jack's home to do the interview. In honor of Jack, I will replay that program Monday evening at 10 p.m. on 8.50 a.m. Now, you may not get it this far north. The signal's a little bit choppy. However, if you see me at the reception following the service and give me your email address, I would be more than happy to send you a link to the show. And in honoring and abiding by the traditions of AA, on that show, Jack used the name John X., now, a week later, I was at a house concert called Words and Music over in Vaughan, Washington. 
hosted by Jack's friend Jerry Libstaff. Jack was the opening act. He provided the words. And it was there that I met Carol, who told me that Jack had some serious health issues that were getting worse, and she regretted that he would not be able to record his poetry. I told her that I would be willing to block out Monday mornings and would take the recording equipment to their home and record as many poems as we could as long as Jack's energy held up. We recorded close to 100 pieces of poetry that will be released in the coming months and the coming years. That began a six-month friendship with the remarkable Jack McCarthy. These last six months have been a lifetime and a love time for me. He became the brother that I never had, and he brought so much into my life in such a short period of time. I was reminded of the words of a wonderful song by a friend of mine, Chuck Brodsky, from Asheville, North Carolina. The lines of the chorus have been a constant beacon in my life. They are, we are each other's angels. We meet when it is time. We keep each other going, and we show each other signs. Jack was an angel to me. Most of you are familiar with the book Tuesdays with Maury. Well, for me, for the last six months, it was Mondays with Jack. We shared so much in common. He was from South Boston. I was from Providence, a few miles away. We shared the same love of music, of sports. Now, he was a huge Red Sox fan, which I forgave him for. <laughs> we were both avid runners and, of course, our love of poetry. We also shared a similar kind of Irish humor. Did you hear the one about the Irishman who walked out of a bar? <laughs> hey, it could happen. And it actually did happen to Jack 50 years ago. He walked out of a bar into the loving fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Ten years later, he stepped out for a weekend to do some additional research. <laughs> but they told him to keep coming back, and he did, remaining in continuous recovery for the past 40 years, one day at a time. His home group, which was so very important to him, right here in this church. And by the way, Jack has a new book coming out in the next couple of months about recovery. It's called Drunks and Other Poems of Recovery. And I'm pleased to tell you that the publisher is here today and has brought a limited number of advanced copies. They'll be available today at the reception. And Carol might even be willing to write a personal inscription. Just a few hours before Jack ran out of breath, I was with Jack and I asked him about his date with death. He said, as he told me before, he was excited about going on to the next great adventure. On that Monday morning, I told Jack and Carol that I wanted to put together a video tribute using Jack's voice with some excerpts from the poetry that we'd recorded, along with a collection of photographs, all synchronized to a marvelous song by Carla Bonoff called Goodbye, My Friend. I played that song for Jack and Carol on that Monday morning. And my last words to Jack as I gently held his hand, Goodbye, my friend. What luxury to know I'm dying so comfortably. But why this sense of victory? Over what? Over time? No such thing. There is only 
truce, the white flag under which one side, mine, comes out to bury its dead, me. I'm a guy who didn't think I'd live to see 25. My lack of fear of death was based on an implicit assumption that the manner of one's death should be in some way elective, to be chosen from a menu of death options. And on that menu, any death I wasn't afraid of would be quick. I've said so many goodbyes already. This is death by doctor's appointments that get closer and closer together until they simply squeeze out all living. I don't want to be buried, burn my body, dump my ashes in a shoebox, take them to the Blue Hills, follow the Skyline Trail to Hawk Hill. If it's spring, watch out for rattlesnakes. Pass the box from hand to hand and scatter me along the path. borrowed from Peter against my body to pay Paul for my emotions. And now Peter's tracked me down and nailed foreclosure to my door for the 14th and final mortgage on my organs. And all I can say is, I gave him a good run for his money.
Following the memorial service, everyone went downstairs at the Unitarian Church in Marysville, and there was a two-hour open mic, which allowed for sharing by people in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, as well as people in the community of poetry throughout the state of Washington, even up into Vancouver, British Columbia. Here's a member of Jack's home group as she began the open mic. You know, we're here to celebrate a life well lived, the life of Jack the poet. And you know, when we take that final breath, what they say is that we have a date of birth and a date when we die. But for those of us who are truly blessed, we have a third date. And that's the date that we found recovery. And for Jack, that date was 4-15-72. Yes. You know, I was really honored. I got to make his tea. And you had to do it just right or else. So I got to make his tea. And, you know, when Jack spoke, he was a member of this home group. And when he spoke, everybody listened. And, of course, we were always asking him to repeat some poem. And the two that we asked for the most, one, of course, was Drunks, How We Die. And the second one was Shipwreck. And I don't know what the name, the specific name of that was, but it was about recovery. And always on my birthday, I asked him to repeat that poem because it had great, great meaning for me. And my birthday is next month, and I'm going to miss Jack saying that poem for sure. There were two things that Jack said that so touched my heart and that I'll always remember. The first thing, and Carol and I were talking about this last night, and she said, I hope somebody repeats it. So Carol, I'm going to repeat it. What Jack said is, if my program, meaning the fellowship, if my program can't get me through this, I've wasted my seat. And his program did get him through it with courage, with humor, with grace, and with dignity. You know, I have seen a number of people die, and I've seen a number of people face eternity, but I can tell you, I have never seen anyone face it the way Jack did. That's, you can clap for that. There was never one minute of feeling sorry for himself, and the day that we had our AA meeting, and as Carol said, it's pretty significant that he died on a Thursday morning because his home group met at 10 o'clock. And when Ty came in and gave us the news, Ty and Buzz, that Jack had gone, let me tell you that there was a memorial service at that meeting. People were crying, people were speaking, people were sharing. He was truly, truly loved. Carol asked if I would introduce his group, our home group, 
And you know, for those of you who aren't in AA, we have home groups. And they say, if you don't think your home group is the most wonderful one on the face of the earth, you're in the wrong group. Let me tell you, I'm in the right group. Would the members of the Thursday morning AM group please stand up? Thank you. There were many loving tributes to Jack McCarthy at the open mic. Here is another member of Jack's Thursday morning 10 a.m. home group. Um, when I met Jack, he had a long ponytail, and he wore those jaunty hats of his, and he had a great, great sense of humor. One of the things that about drove me crazy about Jack is that he would sit around the table in a folding chair on two legs, <laughs> rocking back and forth and back and forth. And I'd say to him every once in a while, Jack, do you have any idea how nervous you're making this old lady? And he'd say, yep. <laughs> and he'd just keep rocking back and forth and back and forth. I love that about Jack. He kind of marched to his own drummer. Jack uh, jumped into service in our group, which is such an, uh, such an integral part of recovery. And the church has a rule here that when we open our doors at 10 o'clock, we are to lock our doors by 10.10 so that people can't just stray in here and get lost in the rooms. And so Jack took upon himself to be the monitor of the ringing doorbell. So Jack would sit, rocking back and forth, and every time that doorbell would ring for somebody who was late to the meeting, he'd run like crazy up those stairs and let them in. Now, some... Thursdays, there'd only be one or two, and sometimes there'd be five, six, or seven of them, and he just kept running back and forth and letting them in. And then later, when his health started to fail, he had to kind of turn it over to some younger people, and that was okay with him. Jack, when I think of him, I think of love. Jack loved life. He loved his family, his wife, his children, his grandchildren. And I never doubted for a moment that he loved me. Um, my husband, Smitty, and I were um, good friends with Jack, and um, we loved him, and we always knew that he loved us. The first time, the first time I heard Jack's poem, Drunks, I was absolutely blown away. But there is, I am not a poet, and I don't know what the term is, but there is a paragraph on his sheet of paper that refers to this, and I want to read this to you, and I won't do it justice, but it's the part that says, we died of one last cigarette, the comfort of its glowing in the dark. We passed out and the bed caught fire. They said we suffocated before our body burned. They said that we never felt a thing. That was the best way maybe that we died, except sometimes we took our family with us. And the first time I heard Jack read that poem, I melted into a puddle on the floor. And afterwards, he came up to me and he said, are you OK? And I said, I had the opportunity to tell him <coughs> that that was my experience. In 1968, my, my then husband died in a house fire because he was drunk and passed out with a lit cigarette. And his mother and father perished in that fire as well. And Jack said, um, we, we kind of had this little thing between us after that, 
that every time he read that poem, we connected eyes. And what happened was we connected hearts. And Jack said, you know, maybe this is a time to begin healing, because at that reading, that moment, I had never felt that kind of pain and knowing at that moment. And I can say t today that thank you, Jack. Thank you for helping me to heal from that time in my life that was so painful. I could never talk about it. So thank you, everybody, for being here today and for being a part of this. Jack is going to be missed. We love him and his family. Thank you. And we will conclude our tribute to Jack McCarthy with another highlight from the open mic. This time our own Mike Hickey stepping to the stage to offer his tribute and a poem. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Mike H. to the stage. Thank you. My name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. I'm also a poet. And um, interesting, only Jack McCarthy could get an AA meeting moved upstairs out of the basement. That was pretty nice today. I, it was amazing. Um, leave it to Jack. I don't feel grief. Um, I've only known Jack since last summer. Um, but the time I've known him, uh, he hasn't grieved at all. So, like, I can't feel sad because he didn't feel sad. I know he misses his family and Carol and, like, all of you. But, like, it was the next great adventure for him. The night, uh, the day that he died that night, I read Drunks, and um, I could feel his, I, I was channeling him, man. I could feel him in me. And I had a whole room full of people weeping by the end. It was, a, it was an amazing, amazing moment. I met Jack at Hugo House, Richard Hugo House, last summer uh, in a tribute to him. They called it a they called it a roast, but it was really a testimonial. And um, and then we became friends, and uh, one thing led to another. Anyway, uh, the last reading that Jack did in public was at my school, South Seattle Community College, which I was uh, incredibly honored. Uh, I also did a reading with Jack. Uh, it was at a of all places a wine bar in Kirkland. And he contacted, he contacted uh, the guy who put it on. He says, I, see if you can get a hold of Mike Hickey on Facebook. I'd like him to read with me. And uh, wow, <sighs> yeah, so I said yes. Uh, and I read this poem. Uh, it's called Soda Fountain, an, old, an Ode to Old John. Slapdash, backlash, succotash waltz. Daddy drinks the chocolate shake. Mama likes the malt. Little Petey's root beer floats, Jan's banana splits. Nostalgia is a sharkskin suit. Amazing, it still fits. A man is singing to himself the jukebox, his best friend. He has a cane, is kind of old, and he can see the end. But it is clear he has no fear of this much he is sure. Death is not the end of life, just the next great adventure. And when the family drives on home content in their new car, they talk about the singing man admired from afar they seem to know he loves this world, he's lived a lot of years, and he'll live a million more, my friend, a million miles from here. And so it is, and so it goes. That concludes our tribute tonight to a great recovering alcoholic, 40 years continuous recovery, 50 years total in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, Mr. Jack McCarthy. 
If you'd like to find out more about this great man, just simply Google Jack McCarthy Poet. I want to thank Mike Hickey for joining me tonight in celebrating the life of Jack McCarthy. And I want to thank you, the listener, who have joined us tonight in this special tribute. I'm Neil Scott, the program's Recovery Coast to Coast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. been listening to Recovery Coast to Coast, a program feature of the Nonprofit Alliance for Recovery. Recovery Coast to Coast is heard nightly from 10 p.m. till midnight Pacific time, Monday through Friday, from Clear Channel Studios in Seattle, Washington, carried live on Fox Radio 850 KHHO in Tacoma, Washington, and heard nationally in streaming audio. For information about future programs, please visit www.recoverycoasttocoast.org, where you can listen to, download, or podcast our last five shows, as well as find information on upcoming programs. Please join us next time when we share experience, strength, and hope with others so that they may recover from alcohol and other drug and behavioral addictions. The bright side of addiction is recovery. Recovery.